today on the Tearsheet Podcast. What's unique about our approach is not only the cool math that we, we bring to bear uh, to create a more inclusive model, but we don't create this false choice for executives where you just have to give up economics to be more fair. We actually have this uh, approach where we're actually, it's called adversarial debiasing, where we're able to use machine learning to do trade-offs between accuracy and fairness and come down on that absolute efficient frontier where you can literally have your cake and eat it too. You can have good economic returns as well as be much more inclusive at the same time. And you know, one of the largest mortgage providers in the US, I think roughly a third of the mortgages uh, run through their platform. They're leveraging our technology for that very reason. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. When the pandemic hit, lending models didn't catch up quickly enough. Machine learning, like the kind Zest AI has developed, moved quicker, helping lenders to figure out how quickly things were deteriorating and where. ML models have also been instrumental in identifying and avoiding biases in lending practices. Zest AI CEO Mike DeVere joins us on the podcast to discuss his firm's go-to-market strategy and business model and how the two kind of fit nicely. Mike shares his views on how to bring technology to lending and specifically debiasing models to approve more minority borrowers. Mike DeVere is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. What could you do with better real-time consumer data? All data aggregation from Fiserv enables access to consumer permission data from over 18,000 sources. Lenders, advisors, fintech firms, and financial institutions can turn this data into actionable insight for their customers. Go to fiserv.com slash all data to learn more. Before we hop into our show, I wanted to tell you about Tearsheet's upcoming Challengers Conference, a first-of-its-kind event. This two-day online conference is everything about digital banking. We'll have senior executives from top challenger banks like N26, Revolut, Oak North, and Betterment, as well as new entrants to the digital banking market like Intuit and Credit Sesame. It's all happening September 22nd and 24th. Go to Tearsheet.co and click on Conferences at the top to learn more and register. My name is Mike DeVere. I'm the CEO of Zest AI. Uh, Zest AI is a company that uh, focuses specifically on solving a problem uh, with credit underwriting. We support companies in highly regulated industries to build powerful machine learning models uh, that are compliant. Uh, and I think the most important part, Zach, is that we help them do it quickly and easily. Uh, that's a process that normally takes nearly a year and a half. And we really support company, uh, companies and banks through that process. So I'm curious, Mike, the, the genesis story, like, are you a maths person? How did, how did you get here? Where, where, where did the idea for Zest sort of germinate? Well, if I think about uh, my past, I think it had a consistent track record of building businesses where we're harvesting insight uh, from data. And so mm -hmm. whether it's uh, being at J.D. Power uh, way back in the startup days, all, all the way to Nielsen. Uh, you know, and leading their insight business in North America and Europe. And so it was a pretty natural fit uh, as far as, you know, my background and experience. And in terms of data chops, as you moved into this industry, did you, did you have them internally? Did you need to go outside? Like, where, how easy was it to port your experience, I guess, into the financial services industry? Well, so I, I had had background working with financial services companies in, in a similar concept, again, looking at data and translating insights. Um, but I would tell you, you know, I've learned so much since I've been here. Actually, mm -hmm. this month is two years. Um, so happy anniversary to me. I'm waiting mm -hmm. on my call. Um, and 
um, you know, I've learned a ton. The type of math that we're using and that, that I'm ha I've had to get up to speed on was actually created uh, after both you and I were out of school. Um, so, so it, it really has been a really awesome opportunity for us to, for me to sit down with the team and, and get to get up that learning curve. So can you talk a little bit about your go to market strategy and your business model? Okay. So, uh, from a go to market strategy, I mean, this is an enterprise software sale. So there's many stakeholders that we're, um, going after within a financial institution. Um, it's a team sell. So though we do have client development professionals, um, it takes everyone from our CTO, Jay Budsick, uh, to myself, uh, to the head of our client engagement practice or, or client practice, Dan Chiazza. Um, and so it's really a team effort to go within a financial institution and to get them to make that transition. Because Zach, you, you have to think, uh, we're asking them to take uh, what has been in place for many of them. I mean, they're using maths from the 1950s, logistic mm -hmm. regression. And we're first having to convince them that, hey, machine learning is better math and will be better at predicting risk. Um, so that's the first hurdle. And then the second hurdle is now choose SAI for that. Um, and so it really takes a team. And what we're finding is, you know, the sales cycle itself um, really comes together when you have both legal, compliance, IT, credit risk, as well as a business leader, all involved in the decision process. So as, as you've sort of tweeted the two, for your two-year anniversary, um, how has the go-to-market strategy evolved, I guess, from your learnings of what's working, what's not working? Well, I would say in the, in the beginning, um, when I started, uh, our, our approach was we'd approach the clients and say, let us do a proof of concept. So that was one sales cycle. And then after you're done with that, you'd hmm. demonstrate economic return and then you'd sell them again and actually license the software to them, um, which was heavily elongated. I think some of our initial closes were 18 months, 24 months, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. What we have found is as we've gotten traction and so with over 20 plus customers right now, we're able to actually skip that POC and go direct to license uh, with many of these customers because ML is continuing to mature within the industry. More and more customers are accepting it as the better approach to underwriting risk. And so now it's really about getting them up and running and demonstrating that economic return early on. Got it. Um, one of the themes we've also explored on this, on this podcast, Mike, is um, sort of inherent biases in ML and AI. Mm -hmm. um, and we know, you know there's systemic biases in, in, in lending. Uh, particularly mm -hmm. to minority in industry. So, so how, how do you, do you guys, can you, do you, are you guys able to shine light on that? Like are, do you have clients using um, Zest to sort of suss that out? Like can you talk about sort of de-biasing, I guess, AI? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I would say Zach, this is probably the area that um, I personally am most excited about. Mm -hmm. uh, we have unique IP around um, de-biasing machine learning models um, and it's something where clients have actually come to us, especially today, it's all that more relevant. Um, but what's unique about our approach is not only the cool math that we, we bring to bear uh, to create a more inclusive model, but we don't create this false choice for executives where you just have to give up economics to be more fair. We actually have this uh, approach where we're actually, it's called adversarial debiasing, where we're able to use machine learning to do trade-offs between accuracy and fairness and come down on that absolute efficient frontier where you can literally 
have your cake and eat it too. You can have good economic returns as well as be much more inclusive at the same time. And you know, one of the largest mortgage providers in the US, I think roughly a third of the mortgages uh, run through their platform. They're leveraging our technology for that very reason. And what, what are the typical, like what are your client sizes? Are you working with lar- large underwriters? Like what does what the typical client look like? So it, it, uh, if, if you would have asked me two years ago, I would have said mm-hmm. it's going to be your top 25 mm-hmm. um, because their maturity level and MLIQ was higher. Uh, but what we have found, especially recently, is it's the entire range of players. Uh, we have a credit union in Houston, Texas, um, uh, significantly smaller on one end. And then we have the top three global uh, bank on the planet um, actually using our software. Um, so it's it's a wide range. It's becoming much more accessible to the broader market. And that really, if you think of our software, which is a model management system, that's the point of it, is to make it more accessible to the broad market, not just for the top of the market, the Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank, Capital One, et cetera, but actually all the way down market to that little credit union in Houston, Texas. And now a word from our sponsor. At Tearsheet's day-to-day conference, Fiserv's Paul Diegelman drilled down into the future of personal financial management. Paul, you're talking about PFM 2.0. It's actually two separate and distinct applications. Liquidity is a huge problem right now. Just People just don't have time to do things twice. Basically, most parts of the country shut down for COVID. Our PFM user growth was over 20% in the first two weeks alone. Underrated, 100%. How could we use AI to impact PFM? I'm up for anything that helps people. And to help people, you need an economic model. To access the full video from Paul's talk, go to tearsheet.co slash speed of life. So, so what have you learned um, through those two years of uh, how to partner well with, with big FIs and, and how does that relate to partnering with smaller you know, financial institutions as well? Well, I think there's, there's t- two different approaches and this goes, we, we try to meet our customers where they're at. And so mm-hmm. uh, smaller customers tend uh, to need our help. And mm-hmm. so we will go in and fish for them. Uh, larger customers like to fish themselves. And so our engagement with them tends to be teaching them about our software, sharing best practices that we've learned across our clients. And so it's different engagement uh, at, at different mm-hmm. levels. Um, and you know, we found that necessary um, given where the market is in its adoption. You know, our, our belief is that over time, though, uh, machine learning IQ will continue to increase across the market. Um, more and more customers will be able to access the model management system and actually start building, auto- automatically building ML models themselves, generating all the compliance and regulatory documents, ensure that it's inclusive and fair, and then deploy it and monitor it. Um, and that's, that's, that's the journey that we're on the next two years. So, so do, do you have different team members, different talent um, working on smaller accounts and bigger accounts um, based so on what they our, need from you guys? Correct. Yes. So, so if you imagine on a larger account that wants to engage with us and leverage our tools directly, so, so they want to do the phishing themselves. Uh, oftentimes the team on that is much more highly technical um, because they're going to be pairing off against a team of 200 data scientists uh, at, at a customer. Um, the flip side is our client engagement team in the mid-market uh, with smaller customers will tend to be an ex-Bain consultant or a McKinsey consultant who not only have the, the quantitative chops, uh, but are, are much more used to dealing with the customer and kind of carrying them through a longer process. 
So we've talked about big institutions, small institutions. What about um, credit unions? Like, how, how do you how do you service those guys? Um, well, credit it, it, it's it's I would say it's similar servicing uh, depending on their size. So mm-hmm. we work the, with the largest credit union in the U.S. all the way to some of the smallest. Um, and if I think of, for example, Vistar out of Jacksonville, Florida, uh, Jenny Vepperman is their chief lending officer. And um, engaging with them is very similar to engaging with a mid-market bank. The difference is, is her objective. Uh, and so while she wants to ensure that she's better force ranking risk, what's also critical to her is the member experience. And so mm-hmm. that actually pops up right alongside um, is that member experience so that they, many of them have very manual process that take 20 minutes to days to actually mm-hmm. get a credit decision. And we're actually coming in and not only deliver, uh, delivering better force rank risk, um, but at the same time, we're delivering that automation uh, for many customers. And I, I think I've been really surprised this, this last quarter, uh, the credit unions in particular have been a boom for us. They've really shown um, in, in, in many ways that they're, they're leading the financial institution, the, the financial market. Um, many yeah, that was going to be my next question. Do you see oh, a sort of a resurgence yeah. among them and based on, on their values and how they're servicing their, their, their constituency? I, well, if, if, if our sales and our bookings <laughs> are, are any indicator, yes. Um, many of them are reaching out and using this time uh, during the pandemic to trench, uh, to, to dig in and actually develop a better overall member experience. And you're seeing this resilience, you're seeing this creativity, you're seeing this willingness to take risks. I, I, I think of Jason Osterhag at uh, Alliant, uh, which is, I think, what, a top 10 credit union. Um, that's specifically what he's doing. He's focusing on the member experience, but at the same time trying to deliver economic returns. And, um, you know, we're, feeling, we're finding that they're able to, to change even faster and drive change throughout the organization even faster than some of the larger banks. Interesting. And so they're also leaning on you for, for automation help. That's for sure. That's for sure. Interesting. Um, Well, you think, you think about their process might've been, they'd sit down uh, with a member and collect 20 or 25 points of data. And then they would put it through, look at a scorecard. It would go through three or four sets of hands before a decision would come back Mm. with our approach. We're able to build Jason at Alliant or, or Jenny at Vistar, a model that has hundreds, if not thousands of data points that with, le- within less than a second is able to render a decision back, a far more accurate decision back uh, for that member and for that credit union. Interesting. And you mentioned scoring. So I have to imagine also that credit scoring um, during the pandemic, I mean, we have, seems to me an unprecedented amount of um, how quickly things degraded and, and people lost their jobs and their sources of income. How have credit scores held up, I guess, during, during this time period? Well, I, you know, I hear uh, a lot from banks and, and credit unions, and I think there's a fairly consistent theme around, you know, they're finding credit scores to be uh, more unreliable. Um, and I, frankly, to be honest, I think they're also finding them to be less inclusive on race. And so, um, you know, when there's trying ties, there's this disproportionate impact that affects people of color. And, um, and so they're just frankly finding them less reliable. Again, if you have an instrument that's set up with only 20 signals, imagine our customers like Discover that would have a model in place with hundreds, if not thousands of signals 
um, it's better able to weather a pandemic and it's set up in such a way that we can quickly do refits to adjust and learn from what's going on in the market versus the old way of doing it, banks and institutions that are stuck in the old way of doing it. When they see something like the pandemic, they're rushing around and it's going to take them 12 to 18 months to get a new model into production mm. using the old logistic regression approach. So what you're saying is not just the pandemic's um, effect on on credit scoring. It sounds like machine learning is having its own impact on credit scoring. For sure. Well, I, I, it's, I think it's doing a better job of uh, predicting risk. And yet at the same time, if done right, can be more inclusive. Do you see the bureaus opening up to more alternative um, data and, and, and multiple points in their own scores? Do you see them sort of following you at a certain point? Well, what, what I'm finding is that at times there's this great co-opetition with uh, bureaus uh, that we have. Um, on one hand, they love Zest AI because when we go into a customer, um, machine learning models consume a lot of data. And guess what they're in the business on? To sell mm -hmm. data. So it's, it's right. fantastic. But many of them have these analytic shops that are starting to dabble in machine learning and starting to dabble in analytics and scoring and developing custom scores for clients. And so um, there's a couple deals in our pipeline right now where we're directly competing with the bureaus and it's a champion challenger approach. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, how, I guess this lead, you know, how have your mind, we had, we had one of your executives, you know, presented at, at our resilience conference. I'm sorry, at our day-to-day -day conference. Um, yep. And it sounded like, you know, your models were holding up a lot better than anything else out there. And they're certainly a lot more reactive. Um, so can you, can you share with us, I guess, how the models have, have performed during, the, during this pandemic? Well, I'll, I'll share the secret. How about that? The, the secret is, is that we use AI to monitor our AI. Um, um, we actually have an the application. The machines have one. Yeah, exactly. The machines. This is uh, cybernet, uh, yeah. for sure. Um, exactly. Um, and so, um, you know, the machine, it actually is required. So if you think of most monitoring solutions, uh, they might catch a population shift, meaning we have more people that are coming in and they have bankruptcies. And so they might catch that and, and say, oh, we've got, we might need to adjust our credit policies. With machine learning, we can not only look at population shifts, but we can actually look at the variables and how the variables are interacting with each other and if there's a variable shift. And so a human trying to sit back and look at a neural network and look at a thousand variables that have an infinite number of interactions and understand a shift in the population, it's just not doable. Mm -hmm. And so that's where really, you know, when we talk about safely deploying machine learning, that's a part that oftentimes many of the AI shops out there are forgetting. It's not only about building a machine learning model, you have to get it through compliance, you have to ensure you deliver a business impact, you have to make sure that it's inclusive, mm -hmm. but then you have to safely deploy it because who cares if it's sitting in the shop a number of times, Zach, that I'll sit down with some of the biggest banks that have the most advanced data scientists and they've got their machine learning model built, but just still up on the shelf because they can't figure out how to deploy it and get it into production. Mm. Wow. So, you know, what a crazy year 2020 has been and, you know, I'm sure coronavirus didn't figure into your, your <laughs> go to market plans at the beginning of the year. What are your biggest priorities looking, looking down Q4, thinking about 2021 in the back of your mind? Like what, do, what, what are your biggest, goals, um, both from product side, I guess, from, and from the business side? 
Well, I think there's, you know, there, there's uh, two goals kind of folded together. So, so first off is to continue to build our, out our model management system. You know, what we believe is that will make it more accessible to the broader market where clients will be able to come in, build a, automatically build a machine learning model, automatically generate all the necessary documentation to bring it into production, ensure that it's fair and inclusive, and then deploy it and monitor it. And so we're going to continue to push hard and own that. So that MMS space is a space that we are creating and leading the way on. There's no one else that occupies that end-to-end part of the continuum. Within that product wrap, uh, roadmap, I mentioned fairness, though. Um, from a fairness perspective, that is something that, Zest, we are going to be significantly investing in to become the standard in that space. We know mathematically that our approach is the best approach to debiasing a model. And whether it be a logistic regression model or it be a machine learning model. And so we are going to continue to push that commercially within the market, but also amongst the regulators and the government officials um, to really put our solution out there as the gold standard uh, within fairness. I, I couldn't, I mean, you probably hear it right now. I couldn't be more excited because if hmm. you think of our mission, this is us living our mission. We, our mission is to make a credit fair and transparent to everyone, right? That sounds like apple pie. It's great mm. words. Everybody has these cool missions. We're actually doing it. We're actually doing it as an organization and we're taking action. And so I'm excited about what we're doing there. I'm excited that, you know, we've come up with a new way um, to actually assess race. Um, currently within the market, um, all the lenders out there have to do an assessment and they'll be leveraging an approach called BISG, B-I-S-G. Um, and you'll look at an individual last name and their zip code, and you'll be able to assign their race off of that. And what we have found in our study in Florida is that that's not quite as accurate as we would like it to be. And by leveraging better math, we're, we're better able to predict race. And why does that matter? Because this is the yardstick with which all of these institutions evaluate themselves to ensure that they're being inclusive in the marketplace. And if they have a crooked yardstick, what's the point? And so if I think of our two areas in fairness that we're pushing is not only one is the fix it button, but mm -hmm. two, it's actually to ensure that the regulators have an even better tool um, to assess how a financial institution is performing. Amazing. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on Tearsheet Podcast today. Thanks, Zach.